Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Going through the book of Jeremiah and Lamentations. It's been an exciting journey so far. We're going to go to Jeremiah chapter 9 today. This is the seventh lesson on the book of Jeremiah. Loving it so much. Glad you're here this morning. This is a great week as we think about Thanksgiving. I'm so excited about Thanksgiving. All right, well, uh, 1500 B.C., around 1500 B.C., that is before Christ. 1,500 years before Christ. God releases the Israelites from Egypt, takes them out of Egypt, brings them into the promised land. And through Moses and Joshua, God gives the people their marching orders now that they live in this new land. But after Joshua died, are things going wacky again over here? (laughs) My... (laughs) All right, hang in there, buddy. (laughs) It's not going to do it, is it? Okay, well, yeah, we we worked on it this week, and now it's doing the exact same thing. Um, Yeah, maybe uh, just just tell uh, John Burnett. (laughs) I'm having the same issue. He can come in here and check. We were trying to duplicate the problem. Maybe he'll stand back there and try to figure it out for us, so... All right. After Joshua died, you know the story in the Old Testament, Moses, Joshua, they, uh, they come into the promised land. But after Joshua dies, this is, thing, things started to just go downhill. So go 500 years after that, and about 1000 BC, Israel becomes a kingdom. So now they're in the promised land, they've lived here, there for 500 years, and now they say, let's have a king. They become a kingdom. Saul, David, Solomon, those are the first three kings. And soon thereafter, the kingdom that is now Israel splits. And it splits into two, Israel in the north with the ten of of the tribes, Judah in the south with two of the tribes, and Jerusalem is the capital of Judah. Other king, now Judah's line, uh, or uh, the kings of Judah retain David's royal line, And so his sons sit on the throne throughout the time in Judah. In Israel, there are other kings that rule. But all the while, both nations now, Israel and Judah, are degrading spiritually. They're going downhill. And um, finally, God sends some severe judgment to Israel in the north. Around 740 B.C., Israel is taken captive by Assyria. And a little over a hundred years later then, so Israel's now off the map and it's desolate there. People aren't uh, living there really anymore, just on the outskirts. And they've been taken captive. Judah is still running and then now a hundred years goes by and God calls around 660 BC, God calls a little baby in the womb to be a prophet, to warn this southern nation of Judah that it is their turn to uh, to happen, things are going to happen just like it happened in Israel. There's going to be a new, 
um, nation that's going to come and take you over. It's going to be the same thing that happened up here. It's the same deal down here. His name, that prophet's name is Jeremiah. Now, there have been some good times uh, in Judah, some good spiritual times, but overall, the nation has been on a downward spiral. Jeremiah would come on the scene. He would preach for 40 years about this coming captivity, but the people would not listen. Uh, It's going to be hard for you to listen to me right now, I know, but uh, the book of Jeremiah, it is the collection of all these things that Jeremiah told these folks over the course of those 40 years. But in the situation there in Judah, Jeremiah is grieving. He's in deep grief. And that's what he writes about right here. Chapter 9 is one of those places where he expresses his deep grief. Let's look at verse 1, okay? Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 1. This is what Jeremiah says. Oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. In other words, folks, I wish I had enough tears for all the weeping that I want to do for my people. I've cried all that I can cry. I've emptied all the tears that I can can weep, and I'm still in deep, deep grief. Why? Because I see the future. The people are slain, the daughter of the slain of the daughter of my people. I already see them slain by the enemy. To him, it's as if judgment has already happened. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had compassion for sinners come over you like this? Oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears for the slain of the daughter of my people. I wonder how many, or I wonder how different things would be if we as believers, would weep over sin more than we criticized sinners. I remember some, someone saying once that we should never joke about hell. That's one thing we should just never joke about because it's a real thing. It's a real place that people go to. And that took root in my heart. I remember as a young person hearing that. And since then, I've tried to put that into practice to never, that's one thing I'm never going to joke about. I won't even go there. But I think we should also maybe something to consider that we should never use the word hell as a curse word. I don't think we should. It's a serious matter. People all really do go to hell and they burn. The word damn is also basically meaning the same thing. If we think about what we're saying, think about what we're saying to a person if we damn a person. I mean, do we really want to damn someone to hell? I mean, come on, That's, that, is, that is very, very serious. If we ever talk about hell or damnation, we should be like Jeremiah. I think we should do it with, with tears in our eyes. Jeremiah had to give this message, but he wept all the way through it. But we're complicated creatures, and Jeremiah had another emotion going on. He's weeping, he's sad, but look at verse 2, look at his other emotion, verse 2. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place of wayfaring men that I might leave my people and go from them. For they be all adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men. So Jeremiah says, I just want to get away. I want to get out of here. I want to get away from all these wicked people, my own countrymen. 
He says, I even wish I had a cabin in the wilderness. <laughs> I wish I had a place that I could just go and live away and just escape. This is a feeling I think all of us can identify with, at least some, at some point in our life. You know, right now, many of us are saying, get me out of California. I wish there was a place that I could go and get me out of this job with these wicked people that I'm around all the time. Get me out of this family. I just want to go become a hermit somewhere. This is, I can't take it anymore. Jeremiah felt that way too. He felt alone and his, his home didn't feel like home anymore. Why? Because of the progression that sinful choices had brought on this society. Truth had completely decayed and it had led to a complete social breakdown in Judah. And here's a description of what was happening. Verse three, and they bend their tongues like their bow for lies, but they are not valiant for truth upon the earth. For they proceed from evil to evil, and they know not me, saith the Lord. So it takes skill to use a bow. And that's how the people were with their lies, Jeremiah said. They, they're lying with forethought. They're lying with skill. They're lying with power. They're lying with intent. Their bent tongues sent, send out arrows of lies. And this grieved God deeply. Out of all the people on the earth, my people, God's people, are supposed to be, what he says here, is valiant for truth. You are the ones who are supposed to be valiant for truth. Strong. Valiant means strong, powerful, mighty. And what a great phrase. I love this phrase. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about this a little bit today. Valiant for truth. This is clearly a description of what God intended for his children to be while they're here on this earth. Valiant for the truth upon the earth. Can you think of anything more crucial for 21st century Christians right now than to be valiant for truth? In a world that's shooting out lies like arrows, we're supposed to be valiant for truth. But how could these people who had the law of God, had God's word in their hand, lie so easily? Because in verse 3 it says, they know not me. The word know is the Hebrew word yada, which means much more than intellectual knowledge. It actually means a deep, intimate knowledge that follows the personal commitment of one life to another. So I've given my life completely, and then I begin to really deeply know that person. But it begins with a personal commitment. It's a, it's a deep, deep knowledge. So it's, here's the point. Once we start walking away, once somebody starts walking away from God relationally, then their mind is open to all kinds of lies. One or two days from reading God's word and you're already feeling pulled by the world. You're already starting to believe lies. We're very fickle creatures and we can move very quickly out of love. The image I see here, these lies, okay? These lies are coming in like arrows, and uh, I kind of see one of those old war movies where, you know, the guys are shooting out the arrows and all these arrows are flying in the, in the sky and coming toward us. And we have to, you know, get our shields out and hide behind the shields to, to block ourselves from all those uh, arrows and thunk, 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 thunk. They're kind of thunking in our, uh, at our shields. But as soon as we move the shield and come out from, from that shield, these lies are going to be, uh, this barrage of lies are going to be coming toward us. 
And as I mentioned last week, if only one-fifth of evangelicals read their Bible daily, then that's a scary thing. We're, we're moving out from away from that shield, and those arrows of lies are just coming at us constantly from everywhere, from, the, from online to the TV to our family, for, for everywhere. And we're just opening ourselves up to those lies. God says they proceed from evil to evil. And let me just be very clear about lies in, the, in a culture. Once lies start, and once we start believing lies, then it's so much easier to, t- to start telling lies. We start telling lies to ourselves. we start telling lies to others, because we're starting to believe it ourselves. And then we keep, the, blind, the line is blurred from what is a lie and what is truth. We are supposed to be valiant for truth. Then it, those, thing, those lies just grow and grow until a whole nation is living in lies and deceit, and nobody knows up from down. Here's what happens, verse 4, and God hates this. Take ye heed every one of of his neighbor, and trust ye not any brother, for every brother will utterly supplant or be a deceiver. It's a play on the word for Jacob, supplanter. Every brother will utterly supplant or be a deceiver, and every neighbor will walk with slanders. Verse 5, and they will deceive every one his neighbor and will not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies and weary themselves to commit iniquity. So America, listen up. When you refuse to know God, you can expect a world filled with deceit, with extortions, with scams, and with all kinds of other fraud going on constantly. And it's very hard to trust anybody. Now, according to... 2021, the Identity Fraud Study by Javelin Strategy and Research. Listen to this. Consumers lost $56 billion to identity fraud last year. $56 billion. $43 billion of that stemmed from scams where criminals interacted directly with consumers to steal their information, such as robocalls or phishing emails or whatever. So 49 million people last year fell victim to identity fraud. We live in a world of dishonesty. It's hard to believe anyone. And people, by and large, have lost that inner check in their heart that says, don't lie, tell the truth. Tell the truth in business. Tell the truth to the the guy at the store. Uh, Tell the truth to your neighbor. Uh, we, it's, it's like that little part of us uh, a lot of times has just disappeared. We don't feel bad about it. And this is a sign of a social breakdown. God is saying, this is what's happened in your nation, Jeremiah. This is what's happened there. You can't even trust your brothers. It is a sign of a nation that refuses to know God and worships other gods. This is why we have in America phrases like, look out for number one, or it's a dog-eat-dog world. We all know that because it's well known in America that trust is gone. Its truth is eroded. Unfortunately, you have to be a bit suspicious of everybody. And this is how it was in Judah, verse 6. Thine habitation is in the midst of deceit. Your home is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit, they refuse to know me, saith the Lord. Jeremiah, your house is right smack dab in the middle of deceit. It's everywhere. And the reason is because they refuse to know me. It's not that they can't know me. It's that they refuse. They won't. 
You try to talk to somebody about the Lord today and they will off sometimes will just refuse to talk about it. They put up their hand and say, I don't want to hear about it. This attitude of refusal gets hostile sometimes from people we don't know and even from our own family members and people we know. Anyone who stands for the truth or the Lord is seen as a threat to their habitation, their habitation of deceit. It's like a threat to their way of life. And people don't like threats. They don't like somebody telling them they're wrong, and they don't, like, they want, to, they don't want to live another way. People will walk out on you. They will snub you. They will say horrible things. They will scold you. They will boycott you. They will totally reject you. They will cancel you. They will do whatever they can to just kind of avoid the truth. When a nation is filled with lies, eventually it becomes costly for those who tell the truth. A couple weeks ago in our parenting class in here, we were discussing one of the challenges that many families face today. And that is how to deal with family members who are gender confused. And how to deal with that, especially around holidays and things like that. And you're dealing, talking with your children and you're trying, you have somebody in the family or whatever. And you're, you're just trying to navigate how to approach that. And the, pe- the things that people will say to us as Bible believers and people who walk with the Lord, they will say, why can't you people just live and let live? Why can't you just be quiet and let people do what they want to do in private? They're not hurting anyone. By the way, that is one of the biggest lies right there. And they're, and they're sucking that in. It does hurt a lot of people. It hurts them, the, the person doing the, the deed. It hurts the, the nuclear family. It hurts the fabric of our society. It hurts impressionable young people and others who don't know what to believe. And it hurts a lot of other things and a lot of other people as well. But the reason for us that we cannot back down, the reason we can't just fold and say, okay, live and let live. I'm not, we're not going to say anything to anybody. We're not going to worry about it. The reason we cannot do that is because we are called to be valiant for truth. Somebody has to be valiant for truth on, upon the earth. We are the truth people for the 21st century. God's people are the truth people. In love, of course, but people will not see that as love. And that's what Jeremiah had to come to grips with. I want to run away to the wilderness. I want to get out of this place. I want to leave my crazy family (laughs) here in Judah. I want, I just go and be a hermit somewhere. But here's what's important about all this. God never changed Jeremiah's mission. God did not tell Jeremiah to move to the wilderness. You are truth people. You are valiant for truth. Kind truth people, yes. Courageous truth people, yes. Truth people who shed tears, absolutely. But still truth people. I'm so proud of Reverend Juhana Pohola of Evangelical Lutheran Church in Finland. Finland. Finland, a formerly Christian nation, they have a cross on their flag, but now only 1% of the nation goes to church. This pastor, he's facing prosecution in Finland for publishing a very kind and very well-communicated little booklet about the biblical look at homosexuality, and he faces possible prison time for hate crimes. The indictment 
that he's accused and his and he and his colleague are accused of says this and I quote incitement to hatred against a group which falls under the section of war crimes and crimes against humanity because he quote made and maintained available to the public opinions and allegations defaming and insulting homosexuals as a group on the basis of their sexual orientation he faces possible prison time Europe, it seems, is always maybe a step or two ahead of America when it comes to some of these issues. So I may be, I don't think I'm out of line, getting a little prophetic here in in saying that we may face days ahead. Well, we, you and I, are going to have to make some very difficult choices. Will I be valiant for truth? Or will I back down? And here's my question. If we back down, Who is left to be valiant for truth upon the earth? Who will be the truth people for the 21st century? There's a, I want to, so much I want to say here, but there's a fascinating connection with this chapter in Jeremiah and this verse in Pilgrim's Progress, the little book, the famous book written by John Bunyan in 1678. There's a point in the journey where Greatheart, follow me, spies a man standing on the road with a drawn sword and blood all over his face. His clothes are a bit disheveled, and he has extended a lot of energy. It's obvious that this man has been engaged in battle, and and the battle was very violent. This young man soon introduces himself as valiant for truth, from this passage in Jeremiah. Valiant for truth had fought with his sword until the blood of his enemies and even some of his own blood was mingled together and run down the sword onto his hand. The blood had dried in the heat of the battle and his hand was cleaving to the sword and it could not be pried out. Greatheart, uh, one of the people in this allegory, fictional story, makes an application here that needs to stand out to us, I think. Valiant for truth had fought so hard in the battle that it, it had cost him some of his own blood. Then, when Valiant for Truth comes to the end and he's about to cross over into the celestial city, he starts giving away his personal belongings. And he passes on his sword, his courage, and his skill to uh, a man who can attain and has the ability to use them. But then he pauses and listen to what he says as John Bunyan writes this fictional story. Valiant for Truth says this, My marks and scars I carry with me to be a witness for me that I have fought his battles who will now be my rewarder. We have a reward someday if we'll stay valiant for truth and the scars and the things that we carry with us will be a witness for us. We're called to be valiant for truth. So Jeremiah says, Yes, Lord, and he continues to prophesy of the judgment that's to come. Verse 7. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will melt them and try them. For how shall I do for the daughter of my people? It's almost like that question there at the end is like God asking, what am I going to do with these people? I mean, you hear parents saying this, what am I going to do with this child? (laughs) What am I going to do? Sometimes I even hear my wife ask this question to the kids. After I've given a very good dad joke, I feel, but what am I going to do with your father? You know? But that's what God's saying. What am I going to do? What am I going to do with these people? But God really answers the question before he asks it. He says, I will melt them and try them. 
He's referring to the process of refining metals. And God's judgment has a purpose. He applies the heat to remove the impurities. And that's what God is doing. And God will do this. And even among his own people, he will do this. Why? Verse 8, their tongue is an arrow shot out. It speaketh deceit. One speaketh peaceably to his neighbor with his mouth, but in, in heart he layeth his weight. Verse 9, shall I not visit them for these things, saith the Lord? Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? God asks, should I not do anything about it? all of this that I'm seeing going on? All these lies? All these people taking advantage of one another? Do you suggest I let this slide? Do I ignore what they have done to me? Think about it. How does ignoring sin fix anything? God must send a judgment on the land, and even though it's going to bring him great grief to do so. Verse 10, For the mountains will I take up a weeping and wailing, and for the habitations of the wilderness a lamentation, because they are burned up so that none can pass through them. Neither can men hear the voice of the cattle, both the fowl of the heavens and the beast are fled. They are gone. And I will make Jerusalem heaps and a den of dragons or jackals, wild scavengers. And I will make the cities of Judah desolate without an inhabitant. You see the heart of God here. He's weeping and wailing. God hates to speak of judgment, but he, he is just and therefore he must speak of it. His land uh, that was once flowing with milk and honey is going to be desolate and deserted. It would be like saying to people in our area, I'm going to dry up the lakes of California. North and south, you're going to go to Lake Tahoe and it's just going to be a, a desert land. Nobody's going to live there. There'll be no water left. Look, everything is going to look like Death Valley. That's what God's telling the people of Judah. Why? Because God hates people? No, it's the opposite. He loves people, and he hates what sin is doing to people in this land, and so he must deal with it. And God wants to know, does anyone understand what I'm saying? Does anyone get this? Look in verse 12. Who is the wise man that may understand this? And who is he to whom the mouth of the Lord has spoken that he may declare it? For what the land perisheth and is burned up like a wilderness that none passeth through, Come on, people, who is wise enough to really see what is going on here? And then who will be wise enough not only to see it, look past the, the surface stuff, look past all the things that, uh, that life's a, li people make life about. Look past that and see what's really going on here and then declare it to others. But everybody's just too caught up in their own life to pay attention to what God thought here. Verse 13. And the Lord saith, because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, neither walked therein, but have walked after the imagination of their own heart, and after Balaam, which their fathers taught them. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will feed them, even this people, with wormwood, and give them water of gall to drink. I will scatter them also among the heathen, whom neither they nor their fathers have known, and I will send a sword after them till I have consumed them. When you think of all the sins that have been mentioned in Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah alone, you see how God is very just in his judgment. Idol worship, adultery, pervasive lying, child sacrifice, prostitution, unfaithfulness, unthankfulness, 
false preaching, covenant breaking, violence, theft, fraud, greed, murder, goddess worship, slander, rejecting God's word. That's just some of the things. What haven't these folks done? And God must bring the sword. He's given them hundreds of years to repent and to turn, but they have not. And it was going to be bad, so bad, that look at what Jeremiah next tells the people in verse 17. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider ye, and call for the mourning women, that they may come, and send for cunning women, that they may come. Jeremiah here is referring to hiring professional mourners. Women that were good at mourning. Something you would do back then. If you really wanted a big funeral and you wanted to express your sadness, you'd hire some professional mourners. Some countries still do this today, by the way. I was thinking about this, and I was (laughs) kind of thinking in America, the men seem like they're the professional mourners when they get the man flu. You know, it seems like men are far more. But anyway, imagine, imagine this. Jeremiah says, you're going to need a lot of mourners. You're going to need a lot of them. Get all the women, send for them. Look at verse 18. And let them make haste and take up a wailing for us that our eyes may run down with tears and our eyelids gush out with waters. For a voice of wailing is heard out of Zion. How are we spoiled? We are greatly confounded because we have forsaken the land because our dwellings have cast us out. Yet hear the word of the Lord, O ye women, and let your ear receive the word of his mouth and teach your daughters wailing and every one her neighbor lamentation. What he's saying is you're going to need all the mourners you can get. So get your daughters involved. In other words, this is going to last, this judgment's going to last into the next generation. You're going to need them all. By the way, just an interesting note, it, it, it's interesting he gives this image of women and young women mourning. It, when you look in history and you read what happens when there's war and national devastation in places, it seems to affect the women the most. They're always, it seems like the women are the ones left behind. There's the ones left to mourn as, as their loved ones die. And that's what's happening here, because look what it even says in verse 21. For death is come up into our windows and is entered into our palaces to cut off the children from without and the young men from the streets. So death is personified. It's like a person who's standing at the window, staring down Staring you down. It's like the Grim Reaper. We have the Grim. That's our death personified. And it's, he's waiting at the window. And he's on the streets and he's grabbing people. And Jeremiah was prophesying these dark and fearful days and nobody was listening. Verse 22, speak, thus saith the Lord, even the carcasses of men shall fall as dung upon the open field. And as the handful after the harvestmen and none shall gather them. God does not hide the truth with people. I'm so thankful for the word of God. It never changes, and he did, God does not hide truth from us. People just stop paying attention to him, and Jeremiah has been preaching for 40 years, but they just stop listening. You know, the people of Judah must have thought, you know, it's not going to happen to us. 
We're listening to this old guy talk. We've been hearing him talk. You know, you're taking your kids and you're hearing Jeremiah speaking. Don't, don't worry, son. We've been hearing that guy preach for uh, 30 years. Nothing's ever happened. Uh, just pay, pay no attention to him. Don't worry about it. We're, we are Jews. God loves us. God cares for us. So don't you worry about it. They had this, the Jews had this idea that nothing's going to happen to us because we're in covenant with God. And I think about it sometimes, and I think America sure seems to have that attitude. We're invincible. We are America. We're Americans. We're smart. We're strong. We're wealthy. We have technology. We have science. But Judah must have had some of those similar thoughts because here's what God says to them, verse 23. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. Smarts, strength, riches, they mean nothing when we're talking about death. In fact, when I think of this truth, I often think about Steve Jobs, the creator of Apple computers. He got pancreatic cancer and died at the young age, really, of 56. Were his riches and his power, could they save him from his cancer? One of the wealthiest men on the face of the planet. One of the most powerful men. He could have had any treatment. He could, have had any, he could have done anything. But none of what he had helped him escape the day of judgment. And it will, nothing that we have and nothing we can do as Americans or anything else can help us escape from the day of judgment. What did God himself say? Verse 23. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. The word glory is also translated praise or boast, what do you glory in? Let him that glorieth glory in this. Someone gave an example of, of this word glory uh, of the winner of a sporting event that's hosting a trophy above his head. That image right there is showing what he is glorying in. He's boasting in that. This, is, this trophy, this moment has been my life's aim. This is the accomplishment in my life that I am proud of. It's my glory. It's the thing I've pointed my life toward. And in verse 24, it's almost as if God is saying that everyone, everyone is going to glory in something. Let him that glory, glory in this. So you're going to glory in something. So what is your glory? What do you, what would you lift above your head? What would, what would make you feel like I've been successful in life. This is the thing I know. I, I've been successful. What's your life's aim? Which direction is your life headed? And what's the thing that you really, really want? Someone else has said, one way to state the problem of humanity is that it constantly allows itself to be satisfied with these low and lesser glories. We all glory in something. Wisdom, might, riches, those are lesser glories, God says. God says, I'll tell you what you can really be proud of. If you, 
have discovered the key to understanding and knowing God. If you've, if you've found that, if you've discovered that, you can be proud of that. It's when you know God's attributes. It's when you know his, the things that he delights in. And what does he delight in, as he says here? He delights in loving kindness, justice, and righteousness. And those are a huge deal to the Lord. As I was thinking about it, I was thinking, you know, these three things that God gives right here are, in some ways, God's love language. There is love language. If you ever wanted to know what would make God pleased and make him feel like he's being loved by us, is, is if we're being loving and kind, if we're being just, and if we're being righteous. So we, there, there's a great three questions to ask of anything in any situation. If I wanted to please God, is what I'm about to do, is it kind and loving? Is it just? And is it righteous? Those, that, that, those are the things that really, truly make God pleased. They delight God. And once we know that, and know that about him, and then begin to live that way, that's what pleases the Lord. God is happy when we just keep loving Jesus and following those things. But Judah was far from these things, and they had the idea that just because we're Jews, we're special. God wouldn't really judge us. So God makes it clear in these last verses that a covenant relationship does not make you immune from judgment. Verse 25 and 26, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will punish all them which are circumcised with the uncircumcised. Egypt and Judah and Edom and the children of Ammon and Moab and all that are in the utmost corners that dwell in the wilderness. For all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in the heart. And did you notice the order there? God didn't even put Judah first on the list here. The Jews took such stock in the sign of circumcision as their special relationship with God, in which he would never allow harm to come to them. They didn't care about knowing and understanding God. They didn't care about loving kindness, justice, and righteousness, the things that God delighted in. They just said, hey, we're circumcised, so we're fine. I, we've done this ritual act, and so we're good. But God lists Judah, notice in the verse, among uncircumcised nations. He said, you, along with all these others, are uncircumcised. Wait a second, we're circumcised. We're, we're Jews. Interestingly, history tells us that there were other nations who circumcised their boys. And these are the other nations, Egypt and these are this other list. Technically, these people did circumcise their boys, but in their heart, they were uncircumcised. So God just takes his people and he lumps them right in with all these others. And he says, when it, when it really comes down to it, you are not circumcised in the heart. This is what I'm after. This was God's way of talking about a heart covenant with God and not just outward rituals. I'm not interested in outward rituals if your heart's not into it. I am not interested in it. Your heart needs to be there. And as always, when it comes down to it, the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. It always is. So where's your heart this morning? Is, is the Lord of heaven the Lord of your heart? Are you committed to being valiant for truth? And here's the question as we close here, and that is this. Do you have a heart that desires to understand and know God? That this would be the one thing. Lord, I want to understand you. I want to know you. And I want to know what makes you pleased. 
I want to know what makes you happy, the things that you delight in. That's the way I want to go. That's the direction I want to head. And that's what I want to be my glory at the end of the day. That's really, really, truly what God wants from us. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.